For player profiles, in-depth features, and exclusive interviews, visit sfhandbook.com to learn more about the best young football players in the world. Hello everybody, welcome to the Scouted Football Podcast, your home of under-23 football, under-23 players, interesting case studies, storylines and analysis. Um, with 2021 drawing to a close, uh, we've got a bit of a different episode to finish the year. Uh, I'm well aware there's quite a lot of information and plenty of names to take in during any given episode. I've even found myself forgetting certain players exist that have been discussed on the podcast. So the end of the year is perhaps the best time to revisit some of the predictions and the takes that we got right or were ahead of the curve on over the course of the year. Uh, haven't clipped up those that we got wrong, funnily enough, uh, of which there are plenty, <laughs> which are available on request. But um, without further ado, here is the Scouted Football Podcast review of 2021. In episode 54, back in February, I was joined by Lewis Ambrose, who had plenty to say on Silas Wamankituka, as he was known at the time. Uh, Silas had scored 11 goals from an unconventional right wing back stroke right sided forward position under manager Pellegrino Matarazzo in the Bundesliga before suffering a serious ligament injury which kept him out for several months. During that time, it came to light that a former agent of Silas's had falsified documents with regards to the player's age and his real name in order for Silas to become dependent on him. Uh, now, free from the constraints of that particularly macabre situation and back on the pitch after his injury, here's what we had to say about Silas Katompa Mvumpa, as he's now correctly known. Then the player that we're going to discuss first is is Silas Wamangi Tuka, um, who is a fantastic forward who you know has been effectively playing as a right wing back. If you want to you want to keep him sort of penned into a position on the pitch, but realistically he's a he's a forward who's been compared uh, who's been uh, who's become a, a wide forward um, this season at Stuttgart. Um, after being, you know, very very good at being sort of a centre forward at Paris FC in Ligue 2 in France, you know he's he's very much a a player that I'm really, really excited to to watch more of, to learn more of, because um, he, I mean, his stats speak for themselves. You know, eleven goals, three assists in nineteen games in his first Bundesliga season. That's you know they're they're pretty abnormal numbers, um, and I suppose that that in itself is is um, a reflection of how well the uh, the, the counter attacking, the aggressive style, the, um, the 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 system which which really really emphasizes his physical traits uh, at Stuttgart. Well, Mangatuka, if you describe to somebody how he plays, somebody will be picturing a kind of short, possibly stocky, but maybe not winger. Um, and he's really not. He's, you know, long-legged and rangy. You'd sort of see him and you'd sort of put him in midfield, I think, just on site. You'd put him in centre midfield and expect him to get up and down the pitch. In fact, he is playing a role that I cannot even begin to describe. He's completely completely unique as far as I've ever seen in certainly in German football in the Premier League he is playing I don't know as you say ostensibly as a right wing back if you want to box him in a position and Stuttgart tend to defend with a five across the back and he's the right wing back and then when they get the ball he becomes the right winger but they don't give it to him they they completely ignore him he barely touches the ball but when he does touch it, he just runs 
and he has the the wherewithal and the the technical ability and physical capability to run at incredible speed and keep control of the ball and cause absolute mayhem for anybody who who def- tries to defend against him. He's got the most shots in the in the team, but he's also got the second or third most tackles in the team. He's, you know, he's almost like playing like a right back, but then when he gets the ball, he's playing like you'd expect sort of Wilfred Zahar to play or something. January's just around the corner and Everton look poised to sign Ukrainian international Vitaly Mikolenko. Uh, he's been someone I've personally been familiar with for a number of years owing to his time with the Ukrainian youth international sides, uh, but has been a mainstay at left back and centre back for Dynamo Kiev over the past couple of seasons. Uh, Zoya Londonsk's Andrew Todos gave his appraisal of the Everton bound defender back in March. In terms of his potential as a left wing back in a, in a top five European leagues side. Obviously, he's been playing in a back forward Dynamo because obviously the the, the dominance that they have over the rest of the teams in the league bar Shakhtar means that you know you don't have to do uh, as much defending. But I think you know with his versatility, it makes him a, an, an interesting one because he can obviously play left back, he can play left sided centre back as he has played in the the Ukrainian youth teams um, and has as has played this season. You know, yeah. He, yeah, it's it's pretty much 50-50 really, isn't it? How he's, he's split his time um, this season under Luchescu. Um So there's clearly something in his game which says that despite that spindly six-foot-one frame of his, you know, he can actually play as an athletic fullback or as a centre-half. In terms of if he were to get a move similar to Sihankov, um, you know, whenever that may be, where would you see him playing in sort of a if he did get a move to a top five European league, because I've always had my suspicions. I think that in a back four where maybe you're asked more tactically, where you are exposed a lot more, if you dive into tackles too much, mm. I think he could be a bit more exposed in, in a, in a more, in a tougher division. I guess there is that risk, but um, I guess his sort of biggest games that he's had, um, especially at left back, have been in um, for Ukraine, like the actual senior national team. Mm-hmm. Um, I went and watched him play against Portugal in a nil-nil draw at the start of 2019. And he basically pocketed Ronaldo that night. Um, obviously, he's, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo is not who he once was. But I mean, um, still, it was one of those games where it was like a, sort of career-defining moment where it's like, oh, this is a watershed. This guy's going to be big. And I think that the best place for him to go to would be Serie A to start off with because obviously a sort of an experienced coaching might be able to sort of help him with that fullback um, duality of playing in defence and in attack at the same time. Um, As you've said, he's played in centre-back a number of occasions. That's definitely not his first choice um, position. Mm. It's just if uh, if required, you know, if there's injuries or something like that. But he's great at crossing. He's up and down that um, left-hand side uh, consistently, heaps of energy and pace. And I think he's, um, you know, I think he's got what it takes. I just think he just needs a bit more, con- um, probably more consistent playing time against better, you know, wide men. Um, and maybe that might help him um, in terms of his experience with those defensive frailties. 
In episode 58, I spoke with the Belgian football podcast's Ben Jackson, who explained why Albert Sambi Lokonga was destined for bigger things than Belgium's top flight. A few months later, he was Arsenal's and has made a good start to life at the Emirates. One of the younger players who's played a starring role, I think, uh, over the past two seasons, you know, despite some difficult times, um, is Albert Sambi Lokonga, um, who is a, a deep line number eight, uh, very good dribbler, very good at beating players, uh, you know, getting through pressure, makes makes lots of progressive runs from midfield. Um, and one of the things that I found quite interesting, sort of just watching Lokonga, is that, you know, for, for a deep line midfielder, he's not quite a defensive midfielder. You know, he doesn't get through um, you know, a, a great deal of defensive work that you may as- associate with 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 players who are good at escaping pressure, um, who you know who, who can be just as well, just as good disruptively as well. Um, you know, I quite like how he's he's good at picking passes in the final third. You know, his his shot his his pass selection is is quite good for a player um, so young. Um, and 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 a progressing play in sort of those dangerous spaces because you know we see. Often, you know, young players are very good up until that final moment where that, their pass maybe is a bit uh, misguided or, or isn't, isn't as accurate as it could be, or they just start again, turn around, pass back to where they came from. Um, but Lukonga appears to have sort of got that, you know, refined down to a bit of a science because he's he's very good at, you know, playing those incisive balls. Yeah, and no, I'm a massive Lukonga fan. Um, Anderlecht games haven't always been the most exciting to watch, but he's exciting to watch. Like you said, like I think the biggest thing you notice is the way he can just pick up the ball and take it a couple of like 10, 15, 20 yards down the field, beat a couple of players. He gets fouled so often. I think there was a game earlier in the season I watched where he played against um, Beershot and he was just running rings around them. Like, his progression from like... And transition play was just causing them all sorts of problems because he just take players out of the game for fun. Um, I think the problem Lukonga's found is that with Tao gone, all the like kind of creative pressure has been put on his shoulders. And so teams are kind of looking to stop him as often as possible because if you stop him, you kind of stop Anderlecht playing. Uh, one team that didn't do that early in this season was Genk. Um, there was a game where they just didn't put any pressure on him and he just he just looks in so much good, like so much control, like you said, his passing was fantastic. I think they only won like one nil, but the amount of chances he created for the side was just ridiculous. Like he should he should have better numbers in terms of assists than that this season, but he's kind of just been let down by the players around him. Um, he is, in my mind, their biggest asset at the moment, without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, he's been given the captaincy as well. He's a leader on the pitch. He, yeah, he just everything he does just oozes with class and like. He's just a quality technician as well. I'd be very, very, very shocked if he is still there uh, next season. I think, yeah, like we talked about knowing when the right time to sell is, I think his kind of price tag's only going up at the moment. And I'd be, yeah, I'd be shocked if there aren't clubs already having conversations with Anderlecht about him. Regular guest on the podcast and professional football scout Lee Scott had to make an appearance in this 2021 roundup. Uh, he and I discussed then Ligue 2 side Clement Foote, uh, who were on course to make their first appearance in the top flight in their history. Uh, at the end of the season, Clement were promoted to Ligue 1, largely due to the goals of Mohamed Bayo. Uh, as things stand, Bayo has nine goals in 17 Liga appearances this season, proving that he was indeed capable of picking up where he left off in the second tier. He's um he he's six foot two inches tall. He's he's quite a presence on the pitch. Um and and the first thing that I've got in my notes is that he's a knees up sprinter. Um, 
because it seems as though whenever he goes through on goal, his knees are almost touching his chest um, because he's just powering these legs to try and get onto the ball. He's got he's got a, a huge cadence, a huge great, a huge gait um, to to get onto the ball. Uh, and and sort of when he does latch onto it, unlike other players, typically more diminutive players, it's not as though he's cutting back onto a favoured foot and and waiting for for reinforcements. He's always sort of powering through. Um, and I think it would be it would be a mischaracterization to say that he is purely a, a player who is you know someone who can play on the shoulder and go through on goal. That is true. He can play like that, but he also does have quite intelligent uh, penalty box movement from what I've seen. Um, you know, he, he he tends to arrive at the right time, doesn't break his stride, which is which. I mean, I'm not comparing him to him, but it's the same sort of thing that Erling Haaland does that we see for Dortmund in that that near post um, run at the left hand side. You know, when the ball is coming across from from the left, he never seems to break stride, um, and that allows him to get a clean strike on the ball. It's 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 almost like he just arrives right place, right time. And that's the, that's a hallmark of good strikers. Um, and, and it's very similar in terms of Bale's um, striking. Um, you know, he, he tends to, 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 to get on the end of cutbacks really well. I think he's got around 30 goals in the past two seasons um, at, at Ligue 2 level. Um, so, and, and um, at Championnat National, um, where he was out on loan last season. Um, so, you know, this the scope to say that you know he's 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 risen to the challenge in in league 2 this season with Clermont Foot um and i mean top level i think you may be pushing it in terms of his 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 ceiling his potential um but i do see some sort of similarities it's it's actually quite it's quite funny because i see similarities between him and uh, Famara Dieju who is of Bristol City who was also at Clermont Foot uh, before getting moved to England and and I think the championship is probably a league that, that Bale would probably do quite well in. Um, you know, he's physical enough, but he's also smart enough to make that step up. I first became aware of Bio when he was playing on load at Dunkirk in the, the lower tiers. I was doing some lower tier scouting using data and Bio's numbers just stood right out. So of course I went and had a look and at first you're looking at I mean you're going, I'm not convinced because it looks ungainly. You'd be mm. right with the knees right up, and he goes through on goal, and he's so single-minded. But then, after a period of time, when a player, even at that level, and then at second-tier level, when they start to show the level of output that he does in terms of, I mean, to be honest, his goal invo- involvements are goals per ninety. That they're not really assists per ninety. He's not a, he's not a false nine. He's not a creator. He, the, he probably makes more opportunities for teammates because opposition defences are so scared of him that they cluster closer together towards him and then create space elsewhere, similar to the the concept of gravity in in basketball when a really effective attacking player creates room by teammates just for being positioned in the penalty area. Um, But when a player of this type starts to produce those kind of goal outputs, you have to pay attention because one way or the other, he's scoring goals. And at the end of the day, if he's scoring a goal, who cares if it goes in off his shin, off his knee, or off a, a first-time half volley that he's timed really well. But then you look at him a little bit clo- more closely, and it's those double movements in the penalty area. It's arriving at speed in the penalty area, but then adjusting the angle of his attack really quickly so that defenders mm-hmm. don't know he's about to burst past him on, on the left or the right. And it's those little pieces of information that make him stand out in terms of his goal output. I think you're right. I think at the, the top, top level, you're not sure. He is somebody who I think would score goals in Liga to a point because 
that profile of striker tends to do well in Liga. It, it's players who have that that powerful running style. He's probably good for, for 10, 12, maybe even 14 goals in Liga next season if they go up. And that would be great for a club like Camofu. But you have to wonder exactly where his level will come, where he will level off and where he'll come up against defences that will, will start to play him a little bit smarter, if you like, and not give him the space to run behind. Conor Gallagher's kicked on during his loan with Crystal Palace this season after similar stints with Charlton, Swansea and West Brom. Orlando Valman from the Chelsea spot spoke to us about what lies ahead for the England Under-21 international in episode 60. Do you see potentially in future that them being Chelsea's level, being Champions League level, or are we going to see sort of probably a similar situation to Ugbo where they've done well, but perhaps not well enough to oust the players in their positions at sort of the base of midfield. Well, I think Conor Gallagher potentially could be, well, actually, I think there's a very good chance of him being Mm. a Chelsea player in the long term. Um, I don't think he'll be a starter. Um, I'm not sure if he has quite has the individual quality for that, but he's a player who's very comfortable at both six, sorry, all three of six, eight and 10. So he can play any midfield Mm. role. He can play out wide. He's a manager's dream. He's a bit like Mason Mount in that sense. You know, he's very tactically aware. He does the basics brilliantly. You know, he never wastes time on the ball, never takes extra touches. His passing is very crisp and sort of refined. And, you know, he's got very good technical ability uh, to go on top of that as well. So I think he'll, he's kind of your dream, I guess, 23rd man in an international squad or squad player in the Premier League. So I think, you know, if he wants to be a starter, maybe he won't playing at Chelsea level or at least not for a few years but I think you know even this summer or maybe next summer he can come back to Chelsea and play a you know a good 1,000-2,000 minutes in a season. Yeah I think that's I'd I'd probably agree with you there on on Gallagher because um, you know seeing him at Charlton he was in a in a reasonably you know rudimentary uh, championship team at at that time under Lee Boyer you know he was that real spark of quality and as you were saying you know he his his ability to dig in to tuck in as 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 a, as a bit of a six um when when Charlton were really under the cosh was impressive but then his ability to sort of break forward and, and really add goals at the other end of the pitch um was 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 really good and then obviously at Swansea um he turned into very much a creative force um and this season in the Premier League has obviously been you know a, a huge education for him um at West Brom so yeah i, I think He's he's very much on an upward trajectory. The other thing to say about him is more about kind of how he is as a person and his mentality. You know, he he spent six months in a team in the bottom half of the championship. He spent six months in a team in the top half of the championship and he went straight to Premier League. And, you know, he's being awarded man of the match awards in the Premier League, proving that he can be the best player on the pitch in, in Premier League games. And he's done that all in the space of kind of 18 months. Um, and, you know, if he can develop that far in 18 months, then, you know, you never know what the future might hold. T4 Football and the Athletics' Alex Stewart was kind enough to give up his time to speak about a club curiously close to his heart, FC Sochaux Montbéliard in France's Ligue 2 on episode 69. Towards the end of that instalment, we discussed up-and-coming winger Alan Virginius, who we're seeing the best of with France's under-19s. <laughs> On, on the crib sheet that I've got here, I listed him as 2003-born right-footed left winger. And then I started watching him and it was a case of, well, he's 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 just a he's a winger who plays on both sides. And yeah. he's, he, yeah, he you know, he's decent with both feet, but he's predominantly right-footed. Um, but yeah, he, he does 
used predominantly off the bench, um, but um, sort of with enough regularity to, to suggest that in the next few seasons, if not next season, then definitely the season afterwards, you know, he's, he's essentially being groomed for a greater role, um, but potentially in the event that somebody like uh, Lazmir would, would move on because, you know, there's there's a lot of, I think you'll probably agree with me on, on this one, Alex, but there's a lot of growing room, I think, for, for, for Virginius because at the moment he is, very much an 18-year-old playing professional football. He's rangy, but he's not physical as yet. Um, he's he can be a little bit naive when it comes to, to come to um, retrieving the ball with his pressure. Gives away quite a few fouls in in areas mm. where you know a, a stickler or a footballing traditionalist might say, "Well, that's not a foul." But as soon as you feel the contact as a defender in a difficult situation, you're going to go down. Um, but with Virginius, I, I like him because he's, he he does have that. Just that that little spark that when you watch it, you go, yeah, he's got it. Um, the the cute little touches around the corner, uh, yeah. a little bit past an opponent. Um, you know, if they're if 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 they're going to commit and try to tackle him, then he has he already has the know how to beat a a, a player in that position. I really like him as an orthodox right winger, mm. um, and you're absolutely right about the the physicality and and some of the naivety in defending. And I do think that that's a system thing. That's mm. he's. He's being encouraged to press and tackle back like the other Sosho wide players, and he's just a bit, you know, occasionally uh, too enthusiastic. Um, and and yeah, there's you know, in, in a league like League there's always going to be for every eighteen year old whippet coming on, there's also a thirty five year old fullback yeah. who's been doing it in his sleep for the last twenty years, and we you know we'll know exactly when to go down and stuff. Um, but he, he, I, what I like about him particularly is the way that he stands up crosses from the right hand side, where he will, he'll use the acceleration to, to beat a player, and then the ball that comes in is he doesn't like cut it back low along the ground a huge amount, or it's not like that's his go to thing, you know, like a lot of wide players that are really kind of almost attacking midfielders, but that end up in a wide area because that's where they're needed. They they pull the ball back across the ground an awful lot, whereas he will clip across in aerially often and really well at pace. And there is something slightly um, kind of old school about the way he crosses the ball that does make me think of him as like an orthodox... I mean, if he, if he got a bit more... Strength about him, he would be a fantastic right winger in a classic four four two, because he's got what you want. He can beat a player, he can cross the ball at pace, uh, he can add a bit of curve to it, and he can also, like I say, stand it up. So he's not over hitting the cross; he's kind of chipping it in, but he's doing it while he's moving. Um, and it's not, it's nice to see crossing like that. It's he almost crosses more like you'd expect a fullback to cross. Mm-hmm. than a winger, if that makes sense. In episode 76, the other Bundesliga's Lee Wingate foresaw Karim Adeyemi rising to the challenge of Champions League football, as well as a breakout season leading the line for FC Red Bull Salzburg. He's bound for a big move in 2022, Borussia Dortmund looking a likely destination, as he follows the path trodden by Erling Haaland before him. 
Uh, the season began last week with uh, a round of matches, one of which uh, FC Red Bull Salzburg won, um, which is not at all surprising. I'm sure you'll you'll agree with me there, Lee. Um, they beat Sturm Graz uh, 3-1. Uh, and there was two Karim Adeyemi goals and one Karim Adeyemi assist. Um, so that is probably a little bit of a precursor to what uh, will be the, the one of the long-running themes in this uh, Austrian Bundesliga season. He started up front with Benjamin Cesco, uh, who's an 18-year-old uh, striker. Uh, Adeyemi himself is only 19. Um, but... They looked extremely exciting. They've definitely been on the radar for a little, a little while. They did very well at Liefering, very well in the UEFA Youth League. And now their time has come at the, at the pinnacle of, of, of their Austrian careers at, at FC Red Bull Salzburg. Yeah, it seems like they, well, I mean, to start the opening game of the season, it seems like they must be relatively high up the uh, priority list for the new coach, Matthias Jessler, who has actually worked with both of them, Shesko more than, than Adeyemi, at uh, within the leafering setup. And yeah, Adeyemi had an absolute blinder. Um, Red Bull Salzburg actually went behind. There was an own goal, which was uh, awarded following the the first ever uh, decisive VAR intervention in Austrian football, because that's only been introduced this summer. So Salzburg found themselves a goal down. But then they came back and, and Adeyemi scoring two goals, the second of which was an absolutely lovely uh, left-footed half volley from outside the penalty area and, and producing a lovely, lovely cross, perfectly weighted to set up uh, Rasmus Christensen for the for the other goal. So he's had a flying start to the season um, after what was perhaps not an entirely um, plain sailing season for him last season because he, he was sort of initially in this role where he was between Liefering and Salzburg and he, he got a bit of criticism from Jesse Marsh, public criticism, which... Uh, you know, it's, it's not really something that Jesse Marsh did. So it was a bit of an outlier. Um, he, he said, he, you know, he wasn't ready and he was making the wrong decisions. But, you know, he seems to have started this season all guns blazing and he'll definitely be one to watch. And it, it just seems to me, observing Salzburg over the last few years, as if, you know, as I mentioned at the start of this episode, they just get younger and younger and younger all the time. You know, they've got a um, a strike partnership who between them are the same age as, as one of the other club's main strikers. So it's uh, it goes to show just how just how young this Salzburg team is and, and just how good they are as well. Episode 85 saw youth football expert Jonathan Fadugba make a scouted debut, and it didn't disappoint. We discussed Premier League 2, the top two divisions of under-23 football in England, as well as exploring some case studies of sides who've done well providing a pathway to the first team, including Aston Villa and Leeds United. They're two very good case studies because... Uh, mainly because of just the the aggression in their in their recruitment strategies, to be honest. Uh, so I, I'm not surprised, kind of that you, you know you've highlighted them. I think when you when you look at the the two, what are the similarities? Well, you know, as, as I've just mentioned, they're both uh, really taking it seriously. Um, start with Villa, maybe you know they've got uh, Johan Langer, who's the sporting director, and, and Mark Harrison, their academy manager. Um, when he joined, I think there was a famous quote that did the rounds within Birmingham, where he said he wants to make. Aston Villa, the club that every everyone wants to go to, um, and they've they've been very aggressive in the way they've they've looked to kind of uh, s- sort of uh, scout and recruit players. Um, a good example maybe Ben Ben Cruzine from uh, Exeter City, seventeen year old uh, England youth international who Liverpool Liverpool and Chelsea were both reportedly quite keen on, and of course he's he's kind of you know turned up at, at Villa, um, and and there's many others. I mean. There's many that come through their own academy system themselves that they've that they've that they've that have emerged through their academy. I'm a massive fan of uh, uh, Chukwuemeka. I think he he's a real 
prospect uh, and another one who ranked incredibly highly. There's two of them, of course. Uh, so, I mean, Carney, um, he was described as the, the best 16-year-old in the country at, at the time when he, when he sort of first emerged. And he's very much a kind of talented, composed, sort of um, live, sort of athletic central midfield player, brilliant touch and technique. Uh, you know, Villa obviously did extremely well in, in the Youth Cup as well. And, and, and they had a lot of players come through, you know, from... Uh, from that Youth Cup winning team, um, Louis Barry, for example, is another one who, who, who's doing well. Uh, you mentioned Cameron Archer, I think. Uh, well, I think we were going to talk about maybe Cameron Archer, who's started this season very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- there's so many players, obviously Jacob Ramsey, like, like you've mentioned. Um, Villa are, are, are taking it very seriously in the way they recruit. And I think, I think it's part of, a, in fact, a wider strategy for Aston Villa. I think you know, their survival may be hinged on a, on a, on a goal line decision um, <laughs> a couple of years ago, for anyone who might remember it. But I think... Since their survival, they, they've really approached how they're going to go about the next sort of five to ten years in, in, a, in a very st- strategic way. And, and I think we will start to see sort of bear the fruits of that. Episode 87 launched a new series which will continue into 2022, Road to Qatar, profiling the players who've stood out across the federations during 2022 World Cup qualifying. We began in South America with esteemed journalist and broadcaster Tim Vickery. With a focus on Ecuador, we chatted why 2022 could be the culmination of the South American country's golden generation. Back to, to sort of the, the football and, and what's happening on the pitch. Uh, and obviously we mentioned there, obviously Brazil, Argentina, and the two teams who are who are look destined for a place at, at, at Qatar 2022. But beneath them, it's, it's, it's far from a foregone conclusion. Uh, Ecuador currently in third with 17 points, but tailed quite closely by Colombia, Uruguay, and, and a little further back, Chile. Um, but with, with Ecuador, you, you touched on it earlier, and, and you, you also spoke about uh, the under-20s. Uh, and that's something I, re- I really want to, to go into a little bit of depth on, especially on, on this podcast, of course. Yeah. Um, because, um, we, you know, we, we watched the, the under-20 World Cup in 2019 with, you know, your real, a real keenness. Uh, and, and Ecuador finishing third at that competition. Um, were were one of the most entertaining sides, and well, they were South American champions as well. Well, so exactly, you know. yeah. Going into that competition, um, they 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 you know they came with with a reputation, uh, and, and it was pretty pretty clear to see. Um, and I've got listed down here. I don't know whether I think a few of them, maybe Gonzalo Plata, had uh, had made his uh, his senior debut before that competition. But eight of the twenty one in that squad are now, as of the last round of matches, full debutants, uh, which I, I think is probably the highest rate of return of, of any squad at that 2019 Under-20 World Cup. So that shows that, I mean, first of all, it's definitely a pathway there. Um, mm. But also, again, it speaks to, to the, the, the level of importance that the, the Sudamericano Under-20 or Sub-20, um, it, it, you know, the, the importance that that holds in South America. Um, but, you know, from, from a young player's perspective, Tim, you know, I mean, the, the 2002 and 2006 World Cups for, for Ecuador were, were probably, you know, the, the highlights of, of their international footballing career so, uh, or international footballing story so far, given that it was back-to-back World Cups. It was the first time they'd qualified in 2002. But from an individual player's perspective, you know, would, would you be so, so bold to say that perhaps the, the, the group that we are seeing at the moment could be described as a potentially golden generation of Ecuadorian football? Perhaps, perhaps um, there are there are some interesting things going on in Ecuadorian football, despite everything. 
You know, it, it lives in administrative chaos. There was a huge fuss when there was a kind of coup inside the the, uh, the Ecuadorian FA. And for a while, it wasn't clear who the president of the Ecuadorian FA was. They had an expensive rebranding um, where they they uh, switched a, a very interesting badge for a very shit one. Um, <laughs> they, they they hired Jordi Cruyff briefly as a high-profile yes. European coach. I saw he, that. I saw it. He 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 resigned before he'd even even taken over a game, um, but and if you if you look at at club level, despite everything, there's interesting things going on. Um, Barcelona of uh, Guayaquil uh, have been since the, the, the Copa Libertadores, our Champions League, since it's been uh, a year long thing. It was expanded in 2017 from being pushed into the first half of the year to, to year long, which is, it's definitely benefited the wealthier clubs from the, the, the wealthier countries. Um, Barcelona of Guayaquil of the only side from outside Brazil and Argentina who've made two semifinals. Uh, and uh, Guayaquil is, is sea level. You can't pin that one on, on the altitude of Quito. Hmm. So that's remarkable. You know, in Ecuador at club level is consistently outproducing Colombia. Colombia is so much bigger and, you know, has so many more urban centres. Uh, Independiente del Valle from, uh, from the outskirts of Quito are, are a model club in terms of youth development. They take it really seriously. And investors have gone there because they have seen the raw material potential of the young Ecuadorian footballer. Uh, and uh, Independiente del Valle are producing, selling, producing, selling, producing, selling, on and on and on it goes. So that there are some really interesting players coming out of of, of Ecuadorian football, uh, and uh, and I, I I was a big fan of that that under twenty generation. Interestingly, uh, at the start of last year, we had the the uh, under twenty three tournament back, the Olympic qualifiers. Um, where you know in the Olympic Games you can have some ringers in, but for the, the qualification tournament it is only under twenty three. And Ecuador basically took their under twenty side, that side that you're talking about, who had been third in twenty nineteen. They took that side, and uh, it didn't work for them at all. Um, which I suppose one of the points here is the under twenty is vital. And this was the first under twenty three that we'd had since two thousand and four. So um, you know, for all of those years, the closest thing that we had to the senior side was the under twenties. Uh, and the uh, under twenties, they have taken on extreme importance in South American football. Some of the most important players haven't been able to make that gap yet. I mean, the, the, the under twenty side that you mentioned. One of the best, but delightful little player to watch was a, the little left-footed uh, playmaker Rezabala. Mm-hmm. Yes, he's very, I remember. Fi- very physically fragile, and he's he struggled to to make the move up. Another one who was great there was the left-footed centre forward uh, Campana, mm-hmm. who Wolves picked up. Yes, you know, but he's not he's not quite physical enough. He's he's not there. He's he's uh, and so he he struggled. They tried to fast track him into the national team, and it hasn't really worked. And he's 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 been bouncing around from from club to club. So you know, it, it's an imperfect process. Not everyone comes through, uh, and uh, you, if you look at Ecuador now, I think they they could um, they could certainly do with uh, with with players in those positions better than, than, than some of the ones that, that, that they've got. Uh, and Angel Nena has been a revelation in these these qualifiers, but he's getting on a little bit. Enna Valencia and Estrada up front, I think that can be improved on. 
Um, but yeah, there, there are there are plenty of promising players in, in in other positions, and it does seem to be a very very interesting generation that's coming through. And finally, in episode 90, the knowledgeable and effusive-voiced John Bickenzie gave us the lay of the land at SC Freiburg in the Bundesliga. In particular, we discussed young central defender Nico Schlotterbeck, who I have a feeling we'll be hearing a great deal more about in 2022. The, the individuals, um, there's, there's one there's one in particular who, who obviously stands out from a scouted perspective, um, and that is Nico Schlotterbeck, who uh, you kindly penned for us in uh, the latest volume of this Scouted Football Handbook, Volume 12. Um, on, my, on my sheet here, the first question I've got for you, John, is why is Nico so great? Yeah, he's he's an interesting guy. Um, I think, obviously, when you're watching Freiburg, I think Schlotterbeck is someone who who stands out. I should say Nico Schlotterbeck, because his brother is there as well and does occasionally play. Um, but... What I think, yeah, stands out as as particularly a ball playing centre centre back. Um, we live in an age where the ability to have a good ball playing centre back is is um, an asset for any football club, and he is particularly impressive uh, at it. He he is someone who gets the ball forward by carrying it a lot, um, and you'll often see him marauding forward into towards the edge of, edge of the box. Um, Freiburg's whole left side really is built up around their attacking. Um, so they've got their their more attacking players on that side. Players like Christian Gunter, the 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 left back or left wing back who uh, recently debuted for for Germany. Um, they've also got Vincenzo Grifo as well over on that side. Um, and I guess Nicolas Herfler, the the centre midfielder, although maybe less of an attacking figure, but again uh, a player who is is good at inter interplay, a, able to help transition balls forward as well. So um, the whole left side is built up around uh, around moving the ball into more dangerous areas and Nico Schlotterbeck is a left-footed centre-back and is involved involved in that in that ball carrying um and movement down the field and yeah he's just he's just brilliant at it um he's able to take the ball around players he's able to play the ball um passing as well he, he likes to play big booming crossfield balls which I think again always stands out but despite the fact that he is a ball playing centre-back actually also very very strong defensively as well has really impressive 1v1 metrics defensively as well which I think stands out and I think for me this season what's really impressed um, has been the fact that he's come up against world-class players in players like Erling, Erling Haaland uh, and Robert Lewandowski and has looked comfortable against them. I hope you enjoyed that little trip down memory lane. Uh, they were some of my personal highlights from 2021. Uh, and I'd just like to finish by thanking each and every one of you listening as regularly as you do. Please remember to rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify. Yes, you can do that there now. Or wherever you get your pods. Uh, and we'll be back in 2022 with more where that came from. Stay safe, take care, and happy new year. Bye for now. For player profiles, in-depth features and exclusive interviews, visit sfhandbook.com to learn more about the best young football players in the world.